What's up, Internet? This is Mike Staub here for the How About This podcast, a brand new podcast with me and my good friend Jordan Hugh as we discuss our favorite fantasy pitches for some of the most well-known and well-celebrated properties out there in the world. This is episode one, an episode that Jordan and I have been longing to record for a long time, but we couldn't figure out a name properly, and we weren't exactly sure where to start. However, I think we stuck with a very good property to start this show off with, and we'll address this in the show itself, but we really didn't build to anything. We went right for one of the biggest properties around. Hope you enjoy. This is How About This. Hello, Internet fans and friends and all those folks out there in cyberspace. I am Mike Staub, joined here by my wonderful, amazing, and talented co-host, Mr. Jordan Hugh. Jordan, what's going on, my friend? I'm doing great, man. I'm, I'm happy to be here just, uh, just recording the first episode of this. This is great. This is an idea we've been talking about for a while, and I, I can't wait. I can't wait to just dive into any of these topics. Yeah, it's funny how it takes... Uh... A disaster and a plague for us to finally sit down and do this, something that we've talked about for a long time. <laughs> it literally took, took the world ending <laughs> to get us to get this podcast. Yeah, together. you know, we'll do this podcast when the world ends. So I guess we had to, you know, cash our checks or whatever. Um, <laughs> so for those of you who have no idea what we're talking about, Jordan and I have had the idea of doing a podcast for a long time, but we never knew exactly what we wanted to do until one day we both kind of synced up on this idea of doing a fantasy pitch show where we would take some of our favorite properties and licenses and kind of give our take on that particular brand, whether it's a movie, video game, comic book, TV show, all of that stuff. These were things that we were always fascinated at kind of sitting down and having very long conversations about, you know, how, how would it be if they did this, right? We were finally trying to figure out what to call this thing and what we were going to do. We had a bunch of properties and <laughs> it was right there. It was there. It was on the tip of our tongue. And then we were in a, a message on Facebook, which we've had for probably about as long as Facebook messages have existed. Jordan popped into the Facebook chat and he goes, how about this? And we were like, oh, I think that's it. Welcome everyone out there in cyberspace to how about this, a fantasy pitch show for some of our favorite properties and licenses. I couldn't think of any better person to have alongside than Jordan, who is a fantastic writer, director, actor, man of many creative hats. So dude, thank you and so much. And back at you, Mike, who's a, a wonderful uh, musician, also a writer, connoisseur of, of all media. Uh, I think this is going to be a, a great project. And if not, we're going to love it. And none of the, <laughs> none, nobody else has to. It's going to be great for us to listen to it. Yeah, we could just keep this and listen to it for years about that time we talked about Batman for two hours. <laughs> I think ultimately what this comes down to is everyone always has their ideas for how they would handle a franchise. So we figured, why not sit and talk about it for a little bit? And we plan on having guest third chairs every so often. It's just difficult with the whole Zoom thing and the lack of equivalent equipment that other folks might have. So we kind of want to keep everything pretty stable. Eventually, we'd like to do this in person and make it more of a roundtable discussion. And uh, Jordan, but in, in person, I have to wear pants. That is, uh, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to force we're that. We're pretty close, but we're, I don't know if we're that close. I don't know. <laughs> Listen, if you came over and we did it down here in my basement, I would <laughs> absolutely not require pants. <laughs> uh, you're right. We should probably just talk about the topic. Yeah, this job's getting worse all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so when we were discussing what we were going to talk about in episode one, we had a long list of properties that we wanted to attack or go into or dig into or, or dive into. And we figured that, well, I think we picked the big one. I think we left, we, we did not like build up to a big one. <laughs> we dove right into the biggest property that I can think of. We're diving into what I would consider one of the top five properties, probably of all time. Let's just start with this. We're talking about Batman today, right? Yes. Yes, we are. I We're can't talking wait. about Batman. As we know, 2020, whether it be the horrors of coronavirus or everything coming out about Robert Pattinson Batman movie, 2020 has proven to once again be a terrible year for bats. Yes, Robert Pattinson is the worst thing that happened to bats since Wuhan. So this is this is timely. This is a timely podcast episode. It's timely for multiple reasons. One, because bats can't catch a break. They can't. And two, because Batman actually has started filming over in the UK. The Matt Reeves Batman movie, which is only being referred to as the Batman. Uh, just, uh, I hate definite article Batman. I, it's it's something that's been around for a while, right? I mean, there was a cartoon called the Batman. And also bad. 
Also, also bad. Now you have this movie called The Batman. I understand that movies are getting away from using numerical sequels now. Like they're getting away from using numbers. And I think Marvel was like the first to really kind of push that. But Matt Reeves also worked on another series that kind of threw the numerical numbering system away with the Planet of the Apes movies that he worked on. And even Cloverfield, which he, I guess, directed, right? He directed the original Cloverfield movie. Even that kind of didn't we didn't get a Cloverfield 2, did we? It was just like Cloverfield and then Cloverfield Lane and then whatever, Cloverfield in space or whatever. <laughs> you know what? That's close enough. Yeah. <laughs> With Planet of the Apes, he did what? Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and War for the Planet, Planet of the Apes. Those movies didn't have numbers. And I guess the Planet of the Apes really never did. But I feel like superhero movies in general are starting to get away from Batman, Batman 2, Batman 3. And Batman really never had that. Batman always had like subtitles. Batman, Batman Returns, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin and all, all that. But for a while it was Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2, X-Men, X-Men 2, even Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Iron Man 3. And now we've gotten into Captain America, the first Avenger, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, Spider-Man Homecoming, Spider-Man Far From Home, XYZ, so on and so forth. We're giving Batman the definite articles. Do we think... <laughs> definite article that, batman that definite article batman the batman 2021's the batman is going to ultimately be the quote unquote the batman no 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 definitively no definite <laughs> article the no <laughs> no it's gonna be very bad you know it's 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 hard for people like us uh, i think batman is a character that while he is massively popular he's like i said i think batman's a top five film franchise in terms of notoriety or at least top five franchise in general people know the bat symbol they know the character they've watched the cartoons they've seen the movies we've seen the waynes die in an alleyway way oh, too many times that's that necklace if i have to see those pearls going off all over the place in crime alley one more time just leave martha wayne alone just leave her alone superhero movies love doing two things they love killing uncle ben and they love seeing the waynes just get gunned down it's, it's not even they don't even do it a new way i know it's, it's the, the exact same. same death every time how how great would it be if they included jack nicholson's line in every movie though if oh, they every should be required to. There's probably some contract that has that somewhere. He's making like $30 million on every one of these movies. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? I actually don't know the, the fine details of this, but they gave Jack Nicholson some lucrative performance contract when he did the first Burton Batman, the 89 Batman, where he got some percentage of like the rights or licensing or merchandise or something. It was like the most anyone's ever made doing a role in a movie ever. So I like to joke that anytime there's a Batman, anything being made, Jack Nicholson is just sitting in a, in a chair somewhere laughing. I'm making all yeah, that. I'm making another Batman. All right. Getting all that Batman money. Let's dive into the Batman. Oh, First, to start off, before we do our how about this pitch, let's talk about the Batman. There's a controversy over the Robert Pattinson casting in general. A lot of folks, ourselves included, I haven't watched too many Robert Pattinson movies. I haven't. I know he got his start on Twilight and the Twilight Saga well, playing actually, what, Edward? Ha Harry, Harry Potter gave him his start. Oh yeah, he was Cedric, he was Cedric Diggory. Diggory. My boy! That's my boy! Yeah, we all remember. That's the thing. We all remember Mr. Diggory and how, how ridiculous and also kind of good you know, that scene was, we don't remember Cedric. Cedric was just like, oh yeah, handsome kid, he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> That's all we remember, really. So, so he played Cedric Diggory in Harry Potter 4, uh, The Goblet of Fire. And from there, he got his, he moved on to the Twilight films, which became their own kind of phenomenon. And then he did what? Were those three or four movies? I'm not sure. I've never read a Twilight uh, book, nor have we, I seen a movie. No one should have to watch those to even know how many of them there are. What I am frustrated by is obviously my reaction to Robert Pattinson slash Robert Pattinson to his casting as Batman was negative. There are a couple people who are very, very quick to defend Robert Pattinson and they will bring up his work in films like Good Time, which came out in 2017, or High Life in 2018, or even The Lighthouse, the Lighthouse which came yeah. out last year. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm absolutely willing to say that Robert Pattinson is probably a better actor than Twilight makes him look, but that, that doesn't inspire excitement from me. I think that would be weird. What do you mean? You're not excited about this guy who's mostly well known for being Cedric Diggory and, and Edward Cullen? Don't you know he's done three or four movies that are so obscure that almost no one in the general population has seen them? Doesn't that make you excited, Jordan? No, no it doesn't. Because nothing that I like about Batman is encapsulated by Robert Sparkly Vampire Patton. It's like, okay, so he either did 
the teen movie thing, which I get. You're a young actor. It's a job. You make money. You probably made a lot of money doing those parts because they were gigantic. Those books were huge. I get it. But then he fades off into doing these kind of obscure movies. And I've watched The Lighthouse and The Lighthouse is is great. Like, I'm not going to say it's not great. Say you like me, lobster. <laughs> so the, the lighthouse is great but it's like one of those it's not really an enjoyable watch it's kind of like watching yourself go insane over the course of uh, two hours and it's very very beautifully shot and like the black and white is very in, in, intense and it doesn't make a lot of sense but it's very interesting character work but like that's where we're pulling batman from right we're going to pull a guy like robert pattinson who's been doing these obscure weird kind of movies that are out in left field and we're going to make him one of the most recognizable characters in history. Now you can argue, well, oh, well, Christian Bale and this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I guess Christian Bale did stuff like The Machinist. And... Oh yeah, for me, there's no comparison though. Yeah. I mean, Chris- Christian Bale's career was so impressive and so well-known at that point that we had some idea of what his Batman could look like. But the people who are defending Robert Pattinson, look, you you have every reason to to mount a defense if you're a big fan of his independent film work, are not really getting the core issue from diehard Batman fans, which is you're asking us to trust this relatively out of left field choice in a role that that we're going to have to, you know, look up to the actor that plays that, that part. What I mean to say, perhaps a little bit more articulately, is this. I think it's all a ruse. I think we are being overtly misled. And they will say things like, oh, he's a terrific actor. Look at his work in these obscure films, et cetera, et cetera. They just wanted to cast some sexy guy with a great jaw that the ladies were going to be all hot over. That's what it is. <laughs> Good looking guy. He's got a great jaw. That's what they were looking for. They didn't give a, a crap what actor they picked. They were just like, oh yeah, that guy. And following Christian Bale and Ben Affleck, who are, are both amazing actors, much better suited to the role, I needed better justification for Robert Pattinson than, well, he was in The Lighthouse. Yeah. And there were some other other choices that they had that they were working with at the time. There were some names that were thrown around that were also pretty impressive. I think Army Hammer was thrown around. They throw Army Hammer into everything. everything, man. Yeah. Green Lantern, Superman, Batman, you name it, you know? There was Army no- Hammer is like, yeah. They're like, oh, a male role. Army Hammer would be good for it. They just fit that yeah. poor guy into anything. Yeah, well, he did play the uh, Lone Ranger. Yeah, and it also looks like they were looking at Nicholas Holt of Beast fame. Also would not have been good, but I think Nick Holt is a great actor. He'd and- be a great, a great villain. And uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson um, was also in the talks, uh, who is... Who is that? Quicksilver from The Avengers 2. Oh. <laughs> Kick-ass. Yeah, no, he's, yeah he's, he's cool. I like that guy, yeah. Uh, I, again, I would not have been thrilled with him as Batman. I'm not... Batman... Listen, man, you said it when you introduced the damn show. Batman is top five property. He's super important. You got to get me real jazzed about the actor playing Batman. And I'm real not jazzed about Robert Pattinson. Say what you will about the Ben Affleck era of Batman. That's a big name. And at least he brings a presence and a an image. You know, like Ben Affleck in the Batsuit was imposing. Okay, so we've kind of talked about, you know, our concerns here with Robert Pattinson. I mean, even the suit that you've seen, like you're talking about, they have gone to make the suit and his mask definitely accentuate the jawline. Like they have that one shot of like the red Batman uh, profile. And he actually, he looks like Charlie Cox's Daredevil. He looks like Daredevil with Jay Leno's jaw. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then they have that other picture of him in the suit where he kind of looks like the Batman zero year suit that's very militaristic. The hat doesn't look like it fits his head that well. The problem is I can sit here and complain about it and look at it and say, yeah, he kind of looks stupid because it doesn't look great. Um, the red one, the red picture looks better than the set photos. But the only issue we run into now is that we've seen a lot of superheroes on set look terrible. And a lot of times they are cleaned up with CG. Like I remember seeing the Black Panther in one of the Avengers movies. I think it was Civil War they had like on set footage of, of uh, Black Panther and like his suit looked baggy and all that stuff it's like because they're clearly like editing things up with CGI but the still shots they have don't look great so far I, I don't know I'm and I'm not someone who's overly critical I just I don't know I, I'm not buying the look what do, what do you think yeah, well, from a design uh, standpoint, I think the, the photos so far have been disappointing. They've been really tight-lipped about really anything in terms of design, but the couple of pictures they've released, I don't even know why you would release them if they didn't look good. I don't know a single person 
even like my more positive, like nerd pals, I don't know a single person who's like, oh yeah, check this out. This is sick. Yeah. None of them really appreciate the way the cowl looks, the way the suit is supposed to look. Unless there's like a really dramatic redesign or what they really reveal is very different. Uh, I think we should prepare to be disappointed. I think so. And I think the bat suit's so important. Like even Pattinson, when he said, when he saw the bat suit, like it was like a moment for him to see this like iconic movie costume that so many uh, so many actors so many versions have been seen on screen whether it's on you know movies tv cartoons comic books video games like we've the bat suit is important uh what batman looks like and how the bat suit looks and how it's designed is very very important you're gonna be an action figure man like you have to look great yeah, you really, really do. What's as important as the Batsuit is the Batmobile, which is probably the number one movie car or <laughs> film car of all time. Like Abs- you can give Absolutely. That's every... more, more than the Vanquish from James Bond, for sure. Yeah, definitely. It's the, the Batmobile. It's called the Batmobile. Everyone knows it. Everyone wishes they had their own Batmobile. Even if you're not a car guy, would you drive the Batmobile? Yes. Oh, hell yeah. Second. And what they've done with the Batmobile in this movie is they've kind of made it look like an old Dodge Challenger or an old Dodge Charger, like something you'd see like on a muscle circuit in like the 70s. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm I'm thrilled with the car. I will say I like it better than the Nolan Batman car. Just because I'm in the minority here, I didn't love the big tumbler tank Batmobile that that didn't say Batman to me, but those were much more militaristic films. Yeah. I think it worked. It worked for those movies. Well, you're dealing with, yeah, he was driving like a urban urban military vehicle in the old yeah. Batman. I like that, and I will say this. While I'm not overly sold yet, there aren't a lot of pictures of Batmobile out. I'm not super sold yet. I do like that the new Batmobile looks more like a car than, say, what we had the last handful of movies, and I really do enjoy. I love, I think the best Batmobiles are the Burton Batmobile and the animated series Batmobile. Because I think I don't think you could do much better than that. I think those Batmobiles are so good and so iconic looking that everything will be compared to that. The Batmobile looks okay. I'm going to reserve some judgment on that. Um, It's a concern. It's less of a concern of mine than the Batsuit and even Pattinson casting. And I know we're being tough on him, but unfortunately it kind of comes with the territory. You've signed on to be Batman. People are going to say, can this guy pull it off? And that's a very important thing about Batman. Can this actor pull it off? And we have a list, I mean, a laundry list of people who have been cast in this movie so far. And we have some words from, you know, Matt Reeves and Robert Pattinson and some of the other people involved, like Andy Serkis, uh, who have, you know, said things that have been kind of floating around in the Twitterverse about how this movie is going to be dark and how this movie is going to stress a relationship between Bruce and Alfred. And this is going to be a much darker take on Batman. And then you see characters like the Penguin and the Riddler. And yeah. while, while you, you also see Carmine Falcone and you see Catwoman and you see Commissioner Gordon, you know, you got Zoe Kravitz playing Catwoman. She's actually reprising the role from <laughs> providing the voice of Catwoman in Lego Batman. Right. So actually, uh, all those people you mentioned, like the whole rest awesome. of the cast is good. Great. Uh, like, I think I think they might sell it. To be a little bit more positive, I certainly don't wish failure on Robert no. Pattinson. I love Batman. I hope Robert Pattinson is great. I hope he's so good that when I leave the theater, I have to issue a public apology on a future episode of this podcast about how wrong and stupid I was. Uh, but I'm saying, like, when they were throwing out, like, hey, here's 20 guys who could play Batman— he was number 20 for me. He was last place. I, I absolutely agree with that. And remember when we all heard, and we were all guilty of this, We were all when we all heard Heath Ledger had been cast as a Joker, Oh yeah. a, a lot of us we were like, all, you gotta be kidding me. Now we there are all, people- <laughs> We all ate crow on that one, man. Totally ate crow on that one, but I'll tell you how we ate crow on that one. And I know that I remember the moment when I ate crow on Heath Ledger as Joker. We all had the same reaction. And I've said this on podcasts for years. Anyone who says they didn't have that reaction is lying. They're a liar, yeah. Everyone said, no way. This guy can't pull it off. This guy was in 10 Things I Hate About You and more recently Brokeback Mountain. This guy's not going to be able to play the Joker. But what changed our minds was that first picture of his face where it looked all chewed up and he looked terrifying. That's what changed things. The first shots of Robert Pattinson as Batman don't do that. They kind of validate how we felt. Even Ben Affleck at first, I'm like, all right, Ben Affleck's a little old, but he's big. Let's see how it looks. And him in the Batsuit looked pretty good, especially in those first pictures, especially even the sad Batman pushing the swing. Yeah, this is the second time we brought up the Ben Affleck Batman. I just want to say, I think think Ben Affleck is an amazing Batman. I would have been all about a solo Ben Affleck Batman film. I think he's terrific. He's a terrific actor. 
he got a bad rap from some of the personal choices he made in his life, and some of his films are not that good. Welcome to being any male actor of a certain age in Hollywood. The same thing could be said of any 40-something male actor. Well, yeah, I mean, Ben Affleck's uh, been- He was yeah. real good as Batman. He's a terrific Bruce Wayne. And I'm, I'm actually sad to see him go. He was never used properly. Originally, Ben Affleck was signed up to both direct and star in The Batman. With him having control, I think Ben Affleck in control of things is much better than when Ben Affleck is not in control of things. Yeah, dude I made Argo, great movie. He made Argo, he made- um, The Town, another great The Town, movie. another awesome movie. He made uh, about one fifth of Good Will Hunting. It was yeah, a good fifth. Yeah, yeah. It's a good fifth how do you like them apples he, i don't like them apples at all Will. what do we do <laughs> it's hunting season so <laughs> you have ben affleck as batman he fits the bill like he's got the build he's got the chin he's a little older that's okay he's late late career batman he is late not cut. not the clint eastwood era batman no but he's not dark knight rises or or rather dark knight returns. returns batman but he is he is late career bat but unfortunately i guess there were some studio disagreements between ben affleck and warner brothers they wanted to go in a different way unfortunately cheap cheap, cheap was the way they wanted to go i guess cheap is the right thing to say i also think think that Warner Brothers wanted to kind of wash themselves clean of this whole connected universe they were trying to do. It didn't work for them like it worked for Marvel, and that's okay. I don't think movies need to be connected. I think Marvel did a really great job telling a 10-year-long story throughout 22 movies, and I think that trying to replicate that process in a different franchise doesn't necessarily work. I understand why DC and, and Warner Brothers might want to take a step back and go, all right, let's reanalyze how we're doing things. Unfortunately, you, you lose Ben Affleck in the divorce, which is a shame because I think if Ben Affleck had been given a good script and had been allowed to direct, I think we might've finally seen like a much more accurate Batman to what you and I want to see out of yep. Batman, which is the animated series yep. on the big screen with real people. That's it. But so they take Batman away from Ben Affleck. They give it to Matt Reeves, who's a competent director like he, he is I, I like his stuff I liked Cloverfield uh, I liked his Planet of the Apes movies I love the new Planet of the Apes movies I think they're a lot of fun they're big ridiculous ape action movies which I really enjoy um, and he's working with a very talented cast I mean like we said yeah, the before the cast, cast is dynamite everybody he cast everybody he's using is great Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman is going to be great it's going to be great Jeffrey Rush as Commissioner Gordon going to be great yep kind of a weird choice but great great paul dano as the riddler is probably the best riddler casting perfect, yeah, i could amazing. have thought of paul dano is good in everything he's in <laughs> yeah. but like if you're if you were like hey paul dano is going to play a, a a villain in a superhero movie like there's like what maybe two guys that i would throw out there and the riddler would probably be number one yeah listen i, I think paul dano he would have been one of the people at the top of my list if you were going to go for a younger riddler maybe to match a younger batman like they're yep. doing unfortunately jesse eisenberg would have been high on my list but they already used him to play the riddler as lex luther being the riddler in the Zack Snyder disaster. Yeah, no, that was uh, no fun. No fun at all. And then you have Andy, Andy Serkis as Alfred. Andy Serkis is obviously He's so wonderful. good. Just He's... so good. No, no one who has ever said anything good about Andy Serkis has ever said it enough. He's mm -hmm. amazing. He's one of the best things in Hollywood. I'm kind of upset that he's not going to be back as Claw because Claw know, is so yeah. good. So good. He was playing <laughs> such an awful bastard of a character, but he was so fun to watch. Captain Planet villain. <laughs> oh, totally. He was great. I, I miss Claw. I really do. I wanted to see Black Panther kick his ass again. I know. Me too. He's like he's like the villain you like to see lose. Actually, you know what? I, I still hold a hope. I know it's a foolish hope that he'll just keep coming back with more robotic parts. Yeah, 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 yeah. So fun for me, but I don't think it's going to happen. And have him uh, go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Doctor Doom. We're going to leave that. That's another friend. Oh, yeah. Marvel, Marvel's a whole other podcast. Sorry, sorry, DC guys. Sorry, sorry. guys. Sorry, DC. We're keeping it, we're keeping it to, to DC today. John Totoro is Carmen Falcone. He's great. Perfect. He's uh, the, awesome. The only other casting choice I'm a little weird with is Colin Farrell playing the Penguin. I well, think he's a great actor and I think he's great at weird neurotic parts and not as good is. as a leading man. So I gotta say this, you're 100% right, Mike. Colin Farrell, because he is good looking, has often been typed as like the generic leading male character and that's what you get in movies like SWAT mm. yeah. and things like that where he's just, just not used appropriately. He is a weird character actor, and he does much better work in films like The Lobster or, um, oh gosh, a, a million weird Colin Farrell movies in Bruges. Yeah, uh, Seven Psychopaths. Seven, yeah. seven Psychopaths. He's an amazing actor. The Penguin is not what I would have thought of for him. I'm sure he'll be great, but like, I wonder why they wouldn't go with somebody who was already a little bit more physically acclimated to that character. 
I know they were want... throwing around like a Nick Frost or a, uh, I think Josh Gad's name was out there for a bit. And I'm like, those sound great. I know Jonah Hill was on the short list to play both the Riddler and the Penguin. Depending but... on if he was fat or thin at the time, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but he was too, he was too expensive. He wanted like 10 million bucks. So they kind of like said, uh, no, nah, you could scram. Penguin is not worth 10 million dollars unless Danny DeVito's coming back. Oh my God. Still perfect. Yeah, still great. I actually think that I would have liked Nick Frost as kind of like a dirty Cockney penguin, like from, like <laughs> yeah, from, right. like from uh, the video absolutely. games. Right. The video game penguin is what I think they're trying to go for, even with Colin Farrell. Oh yeah, absolutely. And originally when I heard Andy Serkis's name thrown around, I thought he was going to be penguin, which right. I thought would have been like, oh, that's amazing. I personally, Andy's- I can't believe they're going to let Andy Serkis be in a film. I know. Like, or unless they're just like, they're double dealing us right now. And like, it's going to be Alfred <laughs> Pennyworth. It's like a CGI robot <laughs> with 10 heads. With, and five accents. Five accents. <laughs> Oi, Master Wayne. Yeah, it's a great cast for the most part. Weird casting choice for Batman. Some weird images from Batman. We don't know a lot about the movie. We can assume that we're getting a young Batman. Now, this is just an assumption, but because we are stressing the relationship between Alfred and Bruce, Robert Pattinson, while he's 34 years old, looks younger than he, he looks is. He 24, yeah. He looks yeah. 10 years younger, yeah. He looks younger than he is. And even though Christian Bale was younger when he started playing Batman, Christian Bale had a different age about him when he started Christian playing Bale Batman. Christian Bale has always, always had like sort of a maturity about him. Yeah. Even when he was in Newsies, uh, he was the right age. But I was looking at this dude and I was like, this 40-year-old man yeah. is playing yeah. a Newsie. We need yeah. to stop him before <laughs> something happens. So I'm assuming we're making the assumption that he's going to be young again. They want to probably make a bunch of movies if they, may, if they do well with this cast and with, with this kind of Batman universe they're building that's self-contained. Now, it brings me to the next stage of our discussion here. Now, we kind of already know what concerns us about this Batman movie. We've kind of expressed that. We're not 100% sold on Robert Pattinson, and we're really not sure what they're doing with it. We don't really know much about this film, other than the fact that it's got at least two villains. I don't know if you would count... Actually, no, I'm looking at the list. It's got at least three villains, which has kind of been the perfect number for a disaster when we've talked about uh, superhero movies and comic book movies in general it's like once they cram that third villain in there it gets it starts getting really messy i can only make the assumption that this is a gotham that's a little bit more developed and these characters exist within the universe already yeah they they're using good material they've got good characters the riddler is a great character the penguin is a great character carmine falcone is a, a great character I would love to hear more about the plot. Yeah. It sounds like they could be doing something really good. They could be doing an investigation film, okay. almost more of a procedural, which would be great. Which would be great. Uh, because if the Riddler is who is being pursued, you could have crime scene investigation. Batman's finally using some detective skills because he is supposed to be, you know, the world's greatest detective, not just a beat stick. And we'll but get ho- into that. <laughs> yeah, hopefully that's the route they're going. Penguin, in this case, then would be kind of maybe just an informer, but maybe the mastermind. Or he's and then a- Falcone, you're shoehorning in the, the criminal, the, the uh, organized crime element. That's, there's a lot of stuff in that pot. It could be good, but uh, I worry. Yeah, I do worry, especially because you don't want a movie to be overstuffed. When I'm looking at it, I don't know. I feel like the Penguin might not necessarily be a main focus. It might be something that Batman might have to get information from him. Or maybe if they're going with the, the Riddlers, to me, the Riddlers an, is an endgame villain, right? He's a villain that, like Batman, will have to pursue the whole movie. We won't know who he is most of the time. Sure, be- though, I mean, there are many comics where oh, the Riddler course. is is not uh, yeah, of course. the main. It's actually hard to determine, looking at Riddler and Penguin, who they intend to be the main villain. Mm-hmm. Both those characters are often informant, middlemen type characters, but they're often both behind the scenes characters. I don't know. We don't have like the overt villainy here. So it's hard to make a call. It definitely seems like they're going to do a little bit of the crime element too, because of Falcone. And we got a little bit of that with Batman Begins, obviously. That movie was much more based in realism than a lot of the other Batman movies. So we, right. Batman, it was Batman fighting. ridiculous, the, yeah. Yeah, you know, the movie's called Batman. It was a little bit more based in reality than than the others, and you have more realistic villains for Batman to fight, at least to some degree, with the crime. So this brings me to my next question. We know what we like about Batman. We know what studios like to do when it comes to Batman. So what do studios keep getting wrong about Batman, and why? Yeah, this is the most. This is the question I was most excited to talk about. So this is awesome. What, yeah. what are your thoughts? Well, let's let's look at the different errors of Batman and just discuss quickly. So first, you know, the 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 stuff that we want is is basically we want something that is as direct an adaptation or translation from the comics as we can get 
uh, without compromising the values of the character. We want accurate representation for the character and for the ideas in the comics. And we want to effectively use the, the medium of film to tell Batman's story. We've had a lot of problems over the years. Just going all the way, all the way back to the 1960s Batman with Adam West, that is a great time. That's a wonderful television show. It spawned a great movie, but that is not that is not really anything like Batman from the comics. That's just Batman only in name. So yeah. we can we can barely consider it, even though I love Adam West and I love Burt Ward and I love that stuff. It was so fun to watch, especially when I was younger. And it's even fun now, but sometimes you need, you know, some alcohol. Um, <laughs> then we got uh, the Tim Burton Batman, which, listen, man, this is as close as we got to live action Batman the way we wanted it. Just as I said about Andy Serkis a moment ago, I will say about Tim Burton during his, the peak of his career now, anything good you could say about Burton in that time, the late 80s and early 90s, is not good enough. He was better than you think he was. Because you go back and we watch the 89 Batman and the 92 Batman Returns now, they're better than you possibly remember than that they were. They're incredible. I still think that the 89 Batman is probably still my favorite Batman movie if we're not talking about animated stuff. I think right. that yeah. 89 is still my favorite. As much as I like Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, I think the 89 Batman movie to this day is still my favorite of the Batman movies. It was so different than what people had experienced about Batman at that it, time. It was so good. And it was so real to what you wanted from the comics, mm -hmm. to what you wanted of that world to translate to a screen. And even Tim Burton in all of his stylized weirdness was like, nope, I know how to use my tools to get this guy up there in a way that will really resonate with people. And Mike, you and I might live, you know, 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, God bless us if we do. We will never see casting as good as Jack Nicholson as the Joker. No. That's the best casting of all time. I, maybe in any movie. I don't know if there's better than that. The only uh, thing giving him a run for his money is maybe Chris Reeve as Superman. That's it. Oh, man. Yeah, well, especially from a visual standpoint, Christopher Reeves as Superman, you know? I think you're right. I think Jack Nicholson as the Joker is one of the most iconic castings ever. And while I love Heath Ledger's Joker, it wasn't ultimately comic book Joker. The only casting a Joker that comes close, and it's in a weird spot, is obviously Mark Hamill's voice on the Batman yeah. the Animated Series. But the Batman the Animated Series is animated, so they have a lot more liberty to do things that they can't necessarily do on film. And that show, as a in general is hard to compare anything to because that show got everything so correct even sure. better than correct in some instances Be better than correct batman the animated series is always the elephant in the room when you're talking about batman because it, anyone could tell you the best batman is the animated series batman and, and they'd be right anyone could tell you the best actors for any one of those roles is the animated series version is is also correct that show was so good one because it was a cartoon and they could do anything they want but also because the creators of that cartoon, they got so much correct because they were so careful about it. Paul yeah. Dini and Bruce Timm and all those yeah. guys working on that show really cultivated something that was not just for children. You could be any person and enjoy Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. And there were deep themes and also moments of tragedy and great joy. And it was, it was really the comic book brought to life and deepened in a way that had not been done as a cartoon before. Batman the Animated Series, like I said, it was better than the best Batman stuff that had ever come out because it changed how the comics handled Batman in many circumstances. It introduced characters. Harley Quinn is one of DC's top selling characters right now. And she she's, came from the she's, cartoon. She's great. Yeah. A she's lot of the immensely. stuff that debuted in the cartoon is great. Yeah. That uh, called uh, what, Heart of Ice. Yep. Mr. Freeze's New Origin, which was much all, better than how the characters used previously. All good. All good. And you can't say enough good things about Batman, the animated series. But then, you know, also in film you have here, we have the, the Joel Schumacher years. Oh boy. So this was, you know, I actually don't hate Joel Schumacher as a director. I think he does good work sometimes his relationship with batman I, I don't know how how he got a second film out of that it's everything that is wrong and it's especially wrong because they saw how good tim burton could be they didn't choose to go that route to let him keep doing his thing or to find somebody that would maintain that vision and the new vision was a callback to the 60s camp. By the time you get to Batman Forever, everything was robbed from the character of Batman, even worse by the time you got to Batman and Robin. And honestly, if they were going to make it that campy, believe it or not, I actually think they should have pushed it further yep. over the edge because Batman Forever is this weird cusp film where it's like half in, half out, half seriousness, half camp. That does not work. Oh, no. the, the tonal shifts are so drastic in that movie, it's almost unwatchable. People actually ask me, why do you hate Batman forever more than you hate Batman and Robin? And I say, 
it is because Batman and Robin knows that it is this ridiculous, gaudy thing, and it never even attempts to be anything serious at all. Batman Forever was still kind of riding the Burton wave and still trying to give you something of the tragedy of that character. Oh, his psychosis, he's seeing this doctor. Oh my God, just throw it all out. Batman Forever is worse by far, just happens to have Jim Carrey in it. <laughs> and Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, so- you know what? <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, you know, I, 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 he's just, uh, the, to- the Tommy Lee Jones performance is so good. <laughs> in, in a terrible way. Good in a terrible way. From West to Keaton to Kilmer to Clooney to Bale to Affleck and now to Pattinson. Obviously, Conroy's in there too. What do these studios keep getting wrong about Batman and why? The thing about Batman, and please feel free to disagree. Sure is that uh, he is the hard case character. It is really reversed from how it should be in any superhero story. What I mean to say is that it is often Batman, and actually probably should be Batman, who is the problematic character. Yes, there is a villain who's doing some overtly villainous things and they need to be stopped, but the audience or the reader should take pause when they see the manner in which this thing is being stopped, and the audience should be kind of in awe of the terror and the darkness that is present in the character. I'm not saying that there can't be moments of lightness, and certainly we all appreciate moments of good humor. Without humor, you have no contrast. But Batman should be so individually terrifying that he is an entity unto himself. He is this creature of the night, this thing from the void that comes out to grab you if you do something bad. He is a force of ultimate superstition, something to be afraid of. And when you try to define that character or give it too much shape or shed too much lightness on him, he really, really weakens. And that's why he's so bad in all those team-up movies or comics where suddenly this guy who's this gritty detective monster character is forced to like you know play tennis with superman and like ride around in space with like green aliens and stuff it's ridiculous and it completely robs him of his strength which ultimately lies in pulpiness and in shades of the occult well yeah because batman is obviously fashioned after the pulp comic characters of you know that era yeah he's a little bit of the shadow he's a little bit of the phantom he's something out of something darker and older and i think too what you're getting at is that the movies have very very little emphasis on batman as a detective like we have him outsmarting characters we have him using interesting gadgets and tools but very infrequently does batman like solve the case they just always kind of revert to him punching people in the mouth and like yes when we're watching a superhero movie in an action flick we want to see the hero at least once punch someone in the mouth like that's kind of part of what gets the blood pumping but in the end that's not all batman is where's detective batman been we could read any comic or watch any movie and we see a guy punch a guy okay i could watch bruce willis and die hard or shoot up a bunch of people punch a guy in the mouth fine yeah why do i watch and read batman specifically it's because in in batman there is this fear that is there that batman can do something worse to you than punch you in the face that he is this force of judgment that is is pretty much coming for your soul yeah uh he's this dark entity and the the more you go into his past and learn about him yes those things are fascinating but i hate when they are made the focus of the film so a lot of these things that the the studio gets wrong is they just they try to build him like any other character Mm -hmm. they try to say all right where did he come from what was his training like let's learn about his parents and about his family and it's like guys bruce wayne is not the interesting character stop spending time on him you want to know why michael keaton was the best bruce wayne slash batman because that was the most I ever felt in a movie that an actor was like, Bruce Wayne is the mask. This is the throwaway. This guy does not even know who he is unless he's in that costume. It's the same thing as Superman, just on the opposite side of the coin. Superman puts on Clark Kent as the costume. Bruce Wayne is the facade here. Batman is the character that he sees himself as and Bruce Wayne's the mask. People are so obsessed with seeing someone ascend to this level and become and through heroics overcome what they have to. Batman, it's kind of like you're saying, he's not really heroic ultimately. He wants to protect the city. He's a, a paragon of justice, but how he doles justice out Without killing people, even though how he doles justice out is very totalitarian. Like, he's the judge, right? He's judge and jury. There is no executioner because he doesn't kill people, but he's one step away from being Frank Castle. Listen, Batman and Punisher are definitely two shades of the same character, and I I love them both for the same reason, that they are somehow things that are, you know what, guys, uh, if you live in Gotham City, don't commit crime. Why? Because I'll be arrested and thrown in jail? No, because Batman will get you, and that should be terrifying. It's just like a boogeyman. 
It's, that's exact. He's the Batman. He's the Kaiser Soze yeah, of superheroes. We never see emphasis on Batman being this kind of flawed, terrifying detective who will stop at no ends to get his, his guy, right? Like a detective will. And just be terrifying to stop crime within his city that he sees is his. For all we, for all we know, the Batcave is Gotham to Batman. Like he owns the city as as its one sole protector. My favorite image of Batman is, uh, and a lot of a lot of artists do this because they've gotten used to the Gothic architecture in Gotham. Haha, uh, is they draw <laughs> they draw Batman with a lot of gargoyles. Yep. Um, and the parallel could not be clearer. He's a gargoyle. Yes. Uh, he's not around in the daytime. Mm-hmm. He only comes alive at night. And he is specifically the guardian of a specific area. If you want to do crimes. <laughs> do crimes outside of Gotham City. If you're in Gotham City limits, forget it. He's coming to get you and there's nothing you could do about it. And I think that's a super interesting take and something they they always kind of get wrong. I also think too, and we can dive more into this when we get into our, how about this? I think that with Batman and... I don't want to put, point any blame anywhere. Oh, by all means, please point blame. But because Frank Miller is such an iconic Batman writer, everything Batman's done since 1985 has been influenced by what Frank Miller has done for the character. Of course. 100%. His two major stories are some of the most interesting and important Batman stories ever told. That being said, we seem obsessed with seeing Batman as either a young guy who's just starting out and seeing his parents killed for the 5,000th time. Yeah, I can't do it again. I I, I can't. No, I can't. I can't see the Waynes die again. Or Batman has to be this old, awful, dying, crippled hero who is way past his prime. Why don't we get Batman in the middle? After yeah. he's been a hero for so so many years, yeah, like, prime of his career, and like, why do we have to? Why can't we get a Batman in his mid thirties where he's been Batman for ten years and he knows what he's doing now? That's what. And I'm I'm breaking away from Batman and talking about Spider Man a little bit. That's what the Spider Man. I knew you would do this. I knew you would bring him in. <laughs> like the Spider Man, the Spider Man video game did that so well, and so did the Batman games. Like the Spider Man video game, the newest one, they told you a story of a Peter Parker who was like he was like twenty three or twenty four years old. He'd been Spider Man for a while and he was actually pretty good at it. But because of that, right, he was already already known in the city people are already knew who he was so like with batman seeing batman who's been batman for eight or ten years that whole mythos of who the batman is can really permeate and you could get something that you're kind of talking about and i think for why do they get these things wrong is i think that we've we have certain standards that we want to set for the hero we don't want people to go to the movies to celebrate a hero that's too quote unquote i don't know evil or dark or sinister we don't want to we people don't want to root for a hero that's as bad as the villains he locks up so i think that's part of the reason why they stray away from doing the dark batman where he's kind of this totalitarian maniac and i think I think we, like I said, I think we go, I think the studios go to older young Batman so frequently is because of those Frank Miller stories. And well, I think I'm going to use a nastier word than you. I'm going to use the word apologist. I oh. think that the films where Batman is a very young guy is, is a very <clears throat> apologist approach. I find the Nolan films, which are, are wonderful films. Yeah. Chris Nolan's a genius. Uh, but those movies are very apologist. Every time I sit down to watch those films, which are all good films, by the way, well, two out of three. Uh, I always think to myself, yeah, two out of three in bed. I always <laughs> think to myself, these movies are so sorry that they were about Batman. They yeah. would rather be about anything else. They took all the beauty of Gotham City away, and they just made it. No, it could be any city. They took everything that made those characters more unique and more comic booky, and said, "Well, how? What's a more realistic, real world approach to these characters? And how about?" Guys, it's a Batman movie. Don't try to make it realistic. Don't try to give it a real world approach. Just love him unapologetically as yeah. being basically, uh, you know, Dracula meets Sherlock Holmes. He's terrifying <laughs> and terrifyingly smart. And stop, stop apologizing. But Spider-Man too. We don't need the origin every time. They finally got that. And yeah. uh, it's like, listen, it, it's a dude that was bitten by a radioactive spider. Have a blast. Yeah, we don't need to, we don't need to, you know, kind of reinvent the wheel. And I, we don't need to legitimize the story. The story has already been told. We know the story already. And like you said, yeah, we don't need directors to apologize. And I think the thing with Nolan is that that's how Nolan works in all of his films. All of his films have very vague, simplistic titles that are about kind of one thing right but christopher nolan's batman movie batman begins could have been called vigilante right and it could have been about anything and i understand that and i do love batman begins and i do love the dark knight so i understand why he kind of told these stripped down stories because they got so weird by the time we got to obviously batman and robin and like you said they want to they kind of don't want to be about batman so i'm hoping now that 
we're kind of in this era where, guess what? Superhero movies are cool. There are superhero movies out there that are ridiculous and over the top and out of their mind. And they're not afraid in, to, of being about superheroes or comic book heroes. So hopefully, maybe this movie kind of embraces that a little bit more and gives us a little bit about that. Which brings me to the most important question that we should dive into right now. This brings us to our very important question. I think, Jordan, you should have the honors of asking it. All right. Man, I'm, I'm nervous about saying it for the first time on this show, uh, but we're going to do it. Okay, uh, here we go. How about this? All right. This is my pitch for uh, a new Batman film that capitalizes on all the things that I enjoy slash we enjoy about Batman. The working title of this one is either, <laughs> some of these are really bad guys, but just just hold on, okay? So I've got either Batman Fear the Dark, Batman Fear Itself, which I know conjures images of a long story that we're not doing, uh, Batman Superstition, Batman City of Fear. You could call it Fright Night. It doesn't really matter. Um, just for casting, these are the major players in this script. I went with Jake Gyllenhaal as Bruce Wayne slash Batman. I think he's a no-brainer for the role. I'm still shocked they didn't go with him both because he's an actor who is very handsome, has a great jaw, and looks sad all the time. And his parents his parents have just been murdered every day. Marvel snatched him up, though. They got that's him doing right. that Mysterio thing. Uh, that's right, I know. Listen, he can play both teams. Sure he can. Sometimes. Yeah. I have Brian Cranston as Gordon, who was, I think, you know, someone that everybody liked for that role. I would also settle for William H. Macy. I think they're both good. Yep. So my main villain for this movie would be the Scarecrow. We're talking about fear a lot on this podcast in relation to Batman, so you want to you want to pick a villain who's going to highlight that theme for you. I've got Crispin Glover doing the Scarecrow for me. I think that's awesome. I think that's Thank awesome. You. Put him back to work. He, uh, Yeah, he's a, he'll probably kill everyone else in my movie, like, like on set. Yeah, on set, yeah. yeah. What's the but last thing he did, Willard? He probably killed somebody in Willard, honestly, <laughs> I think. That's why he's not getting any work. No, you know what? He's on He's on American Gods. I, I don't oh, think anybody okay. died on that show yet, at least not as far yet. as I know. I got Evan Rachel Wood as Harleen Quinzel, who is not yet Harley Quinn. Yes. I've got, obviously, Michael Fassbender as the Joker. Of course. Come on, guys. He has Come to on. speak German for at least five seconds, though. Uh, you know what? The Joker is like a super genius, so why not? <laughs> I've got Eva Mendez as Renee Montoya. That's great. I cast John Carroll Lynch as Bullock, who's like a great character actor I really enjoy. You probably go with a few people there. I just, I happen to like John Carroll Lynch. Can you, can you um, uh, refresh me on who that is? Oh, man. You know, there's, there's so many things I could reference for John Carroll Lynch. He played Drew Carey's brother on The Drew Carey Show. He's the guy that melted in half in the lava in, in Volcano, which I think is his finest moment. Um, uh, he played the guy who probably is the killer in Zodiac. Um, you know what? If you're thinking of like a, yes. a dude who's bald and he's like kind of heavy set and like just kind of funny. He actually looks like he fits perfectly. Yes. Yeah, I think he'd be a good Bullock. Anyway, he's a good actor. And then I got Mark Marin as, get this, <laughs> Knox, as in Alexander Knox, as in the Robert Wool character from the 89 Batman. <laughs> And for this particular film, I'm looking at a couple different themes. I'm looking to, you know, fear as a used for a weapon, fear as a means of escape, fear as an alternative to accepting loving relationships. I'm looking at fear as in terms of interpreting uh, isolation and abuse, recovery from PTSD or trauma, lots of things here. The thing that I was focusing on was, you know, often in, in Batman, we open with Batman's sort of code where he talks about how he has to strike fear into the hearts of criminals because criminals are a cowardly and superstitious lot. That's a, a quote that we hear a lot in yes. Batman. It appeared in, look, more, more Batman books than I can count, but I'm remembering it specifically from Arkham Asylum Serious House, which is a yeah. great book, great mm -hmm. book. Um, so in this particular version, we are going the anti-apologist route. We want to embrace Gotham City for all of its weirdness. So Gotham City is this, uh, this twisted up, really wrong place Lots of goth gothic architecture. We almost never want to see it during the day because, like I said, Batman's a gargoyle. We want to see this, this city at night. And like we have both said, we don't really like the younger Batman because we feel like that's apologist and, and forces us to explain things we don't need to explain. And I've gotten away from older Batman too because then I feel like he's dealing with all these things like, oh, legacy and what is it that I'm doing and all this stuff. And a bad back. Yeah, bad back <laughs> and he's been divorced and now Jennifer Garner has the house. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I'm going with like a mid-career Batman. People know about Batman. He's kind of got it in the bag. Gotham City seems pretty safe mostly because of him. But yes, like there has been in lots of films and comics, there's a controversy about whether what he is doing is is right or wrong. So it's important that Batman be at odds with the police in the city and with the press and even with the citizenry to an aspect because you can't have him be loved. That's not his role. 
to be yes. loved is Superman's job or Spider-Man's job. Of course. And I feel like they always need to give Batman some kind of love interest in these movies where I, I understand that it helps people relate to them better, I guess. But like the only relationship with Batman that even matters somewhat it's his relationship with Alfred, the only person yeah. that he probably really cares about in the world before, obviously, he's got a Robin or something like that. Alfred's probably the only person that he really cares about. Um, and yeah. Alfred clearly cares about Bruce, you know? And he yeah. sees Bruce for the man he's become as Batman, and he does not like it. So Yeah, I'm going to say some things that are a little too dark for this podcast, so apologies to you and to our audience. But um, I have no interest in, in Bruce Wayne slash Batman having a love interest ever. It always reads as fake and shoehorned mm -hmm. into me. Yeah. And it's because he's totally a tragic hero. Yeah. Uh, I recognize that it sometimes is miserable to always be reading about that, but that's what you buy into when you buy into this character. The truth is, boys and girls at home, all three of the Waynes got killed in the alley that night. He's, yeah. he's dead. Yeah. Bruce Wayne's been dead. He comes back alive as Batman. It's essentially mm -hmm. a resurrection and revenge story. Yeah, kind of like, you know, like you said, he's Dracula meets Sherlock Holmes, and that works he really, is. really well. I don't, I don't believe in any love that he has to give everyone. You know what? Catwoman was right to leave him at the altar because there's no way that relationship would have worked out. You see, even talking about it like that, it sounds yeah. ridiculous. Oh, my yeah. God, she left Batman at the altar. How, how stupid does this sound, guys? Yeah. Bruce Wayne is not even a real person. Yeah. This film has no love interest because this film is all about fear. I'm going with Scarecrow as the villain, yeah. as I mentioned. I love uh, it. I'm going to frame this movie as a horror movie. I like uh, it. I love the horror genre. And what I love most about the horror genre is of all of the types of films, horror is the least apologist mm -hmm. it invites it the it audience is. in and it says you don't care what i do you're just here to be scared and i think it's great so we got this Love opener it. opener sequence if i could help it before the title where you have someone who is uh, home alone uh, in a penthouse atop a skyscraper something's out to get them and this thing is a giant bat like man bat or something like that and this person literally jumps off the building because they're trying to escape this man bat. And people have heard this person screaming all night about this giant bat that's out to get them. So when the police arrive to investigate, my typical three policemen here being Gordon, Montoya, and Bullock as the two city top detectives, right? They're like, oh my God, is Batman running around killing people? Is this something else? And then it turns out, you know, as you go through the film a little bit, there is a series of bizarre murder-suicides that are happening, uh, murders or suicides rather, where people are seemingly being frightened to death yes. uh, of something that is not necessarily there. And that is our intro into the Scarecrow, who I think is an underused, terrific villain. I think Scarecrow, when used properly, is is awesome and terrifying. My pitch with, with Batman in general, we can get into that in a little bit, also wants to capitalize on fear, because I think one of the best moments in any of the Batman movies is when he gets hit with the fear toxin in Batman oh, yeah. Begins. Oh, uh, 100%. I think that's one of the best sequences because you never see Batman afraid. And I think that's amazing. So continue. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Actually, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of invert the yeah. order of my outline now that you said that. It is so important that the hero, whether it's Batman, whether it's Superman, Spider-Man, whoever, not win the whole time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What we get a lot of in these stories that have more than one villain is seemingly smart. You say, hey, I want to display my hero as someone that is smart but can also fight. So you give them a physical challenge. That's a big character like a Bane or a Killer Croc. Yeah. Uh, and you give them a mental challenge, something like a Riddler or a Penguin or, you know, one of those characters, Ra's al Ghul. I think for me, Scarecrow is a nice choice because he does both. Yeah. And you're vulnerable both times. If you try to match wits with him, he's got this fear toxin that overtakes your ability to reason. So mm -hmm. he's great, great in that respect. But then also he's a physical threat because now he's created a world in which everything is a physical threat. Yep. A child holding a flashlight could be a, a deadly assassin with a laser sword if you're yeah. under the impression of the fear toxin. Yeah. And this is a horror film, remember? So all the fun we can have with all these hallucination sequences and Batman not being able to get out of this dark closet that he is in. So we're going to set the film in Halloween. I'm sure you could expect why. Which is perfect because if you think about it too, if you want to add the fear toxin and all that stuff on top of it, you got people in costume, you got crazy decorations, you've got bad, uh, Gotham City's grotesqueness dressed up to the nines. So everything uh, is terrifying. Yeah, and I'm borrowing a little bit from Arkham Knight, the video game here, why which not? was also, I think, set in Halloween to start. It, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's obvious why you would do this from any horror movie that's ever used Halloween as a background because 
people are wearing masks and they think they aren't themselves. There is this fear that is out in the streets creating this kind of excitement. This is atmosphere. Yeah, that's true. The minor character that I'm most excited about using is Harley Quinn before she's Harley Quinn, just to give that character some agency that isn't just a flashback. Yeah. So if I'm going to use Scarecrow, Scarecrow is actually one of the villains, this is pretty rare, whose alter ego is just as interesting as the person. Jonathan Crane, Dr. Crane, you know, professor of psychiatry at Gotham University, practicing physician, psychiatrist at Arkham Asylum. There's this great backstory that Bruce Jones wrote for the Batman Year One, Scarecrow Year One bit back in the mid-90s. He had this character, this amazing backstory. We don't have to flash back to anything, but I think it's just an auto-include Harley Quinn is a student at Gotham University studying psychiatry. Jonathan Crane is an older male professor. That just lines up really well. That seems like that's a, a cool thing. And I think a good opening up into a sequel and just slowly expanding Batman's world is Jonathan Crane is obsessed with studying fear. He admires the Joker, who's already in Arkham Asylum, who's one of his patients as someone that uses fear to study good and evil in his own unorthodox way. So the Joker is kind of this devil that has inspired Jonathan Crane to kind of come up with his own experiments here. Harleen Quinzel, pre-Harley Quinn, Harley Quinn, is looking at Crane like this guy might be onto something and I think has already started to develop this fixation with the Joker that she catches from Crane. Mm-hmm. I like it. Anyway, that, that could be just like a fun really little cool. in, but I think including him as the professor really works and it gives you like easy access to Arkham, which is something fair, in, in fairness that Nolan did as well in yep. Batman Begins. So look, all that sounds great. Where does Batman come in? So Montoya and Bullock, they're investigating the these murders. Batman really is a jerk and I think interrupts their investigation, steals their evidence. I don't like I don't like it when the police totally get along with Batman. No, I think it's 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 almost better when they're a villain too. Sure. Mike, think of every police procedural move movie or show you saw. What is the local police's relationship when like the feds come in? It's it's a mess. Get off this isn't your jurisdiction. That's that's it. (laughs) So Batman showing up is like the worst thing in the world. It's like Montoya and and Bullock are like, they're they're breaking their asses. They're really trying to get into this case. And then Batman comes in to to screw it up. And that should be a conflict that we'll need to resolve towards the end of the movie. So, you know, on and on and on. Batman eventually puts two and two together. Oh, okay, this guy, Jonathan Crane, he's studying fear. It must be him. And this can be a shorter movie. We yeah. do not have to have a three-hour blockbuster about Batman hunting down the Scarecrow because we need to return Batman to his pulpy detective roots and tell a smaller story. He figures it out. He gets nailed with the fear toxin, like right in that first encounter. And this is where you get the most beautiful Scarecrow that you could possibly have. Because we're in a horror movie, you use Scarecrow as like a Freddy Krueger type yeah. character. Mm-hmm. It's not just that you've been hit with the fear toxin but he has some control over the world that you're now in. You're now in the world of fear and confusion. You're in the world of the master of fear. So Batman is very much at the mercy of this guy. And you can flip back and forth the things that Batman is really seeing and experiencing. And this is how we get growth. Batman is going to have to learn to trust Gordon, learn to trust Montoya and Bullock, or even learn more on Alfred to prove to himself that after so many years of doing this, he doesn't have to be alone. That's character growth. That's how you get there. Not just like, oh, I made a friend and now I have Robin. That never made sense to me. That never felt good. Robin, honestly, as a character has never felt good to me. I think there's ways to do it, but we haven't figured it out yet. It certainly won't happen in this movie. I I love like the Star Wars style fight where you have like the small fight happening and then the big fight happening outside. outside. Yeah. So our version of that in this film is actually Montoya, who's a character I love, by the way. Yeah, great character. Great character. I think Montoya is trying to find the antidote. Batman has shared with her what has happened, and she knows about Crane. So she returns to the lab to find the antidote. And she's going to fight the physical Jonathan Crane in the real world, who is much more like a Jason Voorhees or Michael Myers-style character, where he is stalking her through the university and through the labs. And I think there's a really good sequence that can be and made just out see of that. Crispin Glover is just, that's so terrifying. I'm oh, scared yeah. right now. He's I'm such a just, scary dude. Just, he needs no costume and no mask. Just ready. <laughs> you don't even need the scarecrow on. It's like, it should be Batman versus actor Crispin Glover. He's t- tremendous though. Yeah. Uh, the, the larger fight is of course, Batman versus the Freddy Krueger version of the scarecrow who exists in the world of the fear toxins. Yeah. And then the huge fight is of course, scarecrow has dumped the fear toxin into the city's water supply. Uh, so Gordon is dealing with all that and he's dealing with the huge riots. So that sequence really builds up in our, mm-hmm. in our third act. 
And then to, to kind of send us off, you know, of course, Scarecrow is defeated, apprehended. Batman now has friends in the police department. He understands that he yep. just can't be a, a complete vigilante, you know, jerk all the time. And then the final sell is now you have a nice send off into a sequel where Jonathan Crane's been stripped of his license. He goes to Arkham Asylum in the ultimate irony. And we get a really nice transition here because now Harley Quinn, who maybe was Crane's intern at some point, takes over his practice, meets the Joker, and then you you find out Joker loved all of this or loved seeing her role in this, or this is how they met. This way, it's not just like, oh, she was my doctor and we fell in love. We have a little bit more of a uh, yeah. a little bit more connectivity there. I like it. Um, I think this is a great, I think this is a great pitch. I think it's awesome. I think it's, it's something it's that we don't. Villain, it's a one villain pitch. One Other villain than movie. a cameo, it's a one villain pitch. I think, and I think that, they need to focus on that. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think they need to focus on that. And I think that it's something that we haven't seen out of a Batman movie. Batman Begins got close with the fear toxin, but we haven't really seen this type of thing before with Batman. And I, you know, my whole idea was definitely playing into fear a little bit and using that mentality where the hero can't always be on top we need batman to lose a little bit for it to be interesting to have growth i think the comic book series that gets it so right you say what you want about the new 52 i think that scott snyder's run on batman and the court of owls finally gave you a villain for Batman that Batman didn't know about, was caught off guard, and completely messed where Batman was weak about things he didn't know about and played into his fear and attacked his quote-unquote family. That's the stuff you play into. Batman doesn't have a family in this part, and he doesn't, he doesn't have that in your pitch, but I think your pitch build, could ultimately build to that. But right now, the small fear-based movie is something that we really kind of need to see we need to see batman do these things i think it's a great idea and and my hope would be let's say they went with a film that was this film or a film like this film where they just did something small they established a one villain film they established batman what he can do with just one existential threat to the city at a time don't then grow that into a huge film where Batman yeah. has to save the world from a nuclear reactor or something like no. that. Grow it into another one villain film. Yeah. Have him take it case by case. Treat the films like you're treating, oh, and Sherlock Holmes' case has now led him to this case, and then mm-hmm. this case has led him to this case. The case can never lead him to Metropolis to go hang out with Superman no. and defeat the giant that is coming from outer space to harvest everyone's brain, okay? The character has limits and you have to play to his strengths. I think that's true. And I think that's 100% accurate. And I think something like this, an idea like this, I'd go see it. I'd buy some popcorn. I think it's great. And I think we do need superhero movies to embrace these kind of different genres a little bit more with when it comes to horror, more suspense and things like that. And I know that Marvel's kind of like, ah, we're doing everything with every different genre, but it would be really cool to kind of see a Batman horror film. And I think that, I think that's a great idea. And I think the games have done it, especially with uh, at least the beginning of Arkham Knight has done that. The comic books have clearly done it a bunch of times. Yeah. Arkham Knight was great. Actually, I would have preferred Arkham Knight with fewer villains. I know it's a silly silly thing to say, but it's true. I, I think the Scarecrow stuff was really cool. And I, I, I could have played a whole, the, the, I think this pitch was born out of that. It's like, I could have played a whole game of just the Scarecrow Scare stuff. And by the way, the, the man bat bit from the beginning is so obviously in Arkham Knight when you're just yeah. scaling a random <laughs> ledge and this disaster comes <laughs> to get you, this horrifying monster. I think I actually screamed like, I, in, in my apartment when I was playing it. I got so scared uh, the first time man bat just peered over the edge. Oh, terrific. That was, that was the best use of man bat ever. Ever, ever hands down and, and i like it i like a smaller case-by-case batman take I, like another detective comic. did you did you have the same uh reaction i did where like it happened and you screamed and like he flew away and you're like was that man bat <laughs> man bat <laughs> and then you like took him over you're like i can't believe man i paused bat in this game and then you're like oh this is great though i paused the game I had to pause it after after that to like take a breath. Oh yeah. But I think this pitch is awesome, man. I think it's really great. And I think that this is a good direction to take this character. But with that being said, we've been talking for a very long time. So I think it's time to- Oh yeah, sorry, uh, you have to edit this. <laughs> uh, I'll edit it. Me talk ah, for- Batman. Ah, ah, Batman. I am not a man. I am I, an animal. Cold-blooded. Uh, Danny DeVito does not get enough credit. Sorry, that's the last thing I'll say about Danny. <laughs> Terrific, terrific, terrific. Terrific. I love him as Oswald Cobblepot. Terrific. He should come back. He should. To wrap it up, final thoughts on Batman. Any final words on on the bat, the Batman, the man, the man, Batman? Ah, you know, it's been said a few times, but just listen, you have to recognize what's good about the Batman character, his ability to use fear, his ability to use his darkness uh, as, as an agent for 
doing good. Do not focus on things that make him just like every other character. Yep. Like, I have an origin story and I have some conflict inside. And just, you know, don't make him Batman. Don't Let make him, him everybody else. Let him, yes, Mike, that is it. Let him be Batman. Let him be Batman. I think that's my final word. Let Batman be Batman. To finalize this whole situation here and to finalize this episode, episode one of the How About This podcast, we're going to leave you with the quote, let Batman be Batman. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to thank you all for listening. Jordan, thank you so much, man. This Mike, was a blast. Thank, thank you specifically. You are my favorite person on this show that isn't me. Oh, well, that's great because uh, I could say likewise. Man, You're my favorite me. person on the show that isn't uh, me. I am so touched. So touched. <laughs> we've, been, we've been looking to do this for a long time. And I'm happy that we finally used the apocalypse to, to get this to work. How about this? will be hopefully a weekly podcast starring Jordan and myself. And hopefully as we can open up a little bit more, a third chair for, of other experts of other different properties. So be sure to reach out to us personally if you're a friend of ours or on the show notes or if you're apple podcast be sure to reach out to us if there are any properties you would love to hear us tackle or talk about we can do that uh, eventually we'll be getting the whole social media thing probably set up at some point but and, we and have also a- tell us tell us when you think we're wrong we yeah that's better than great. arguing we love arguing with people online. We like yeah. tag team you. It's great. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> we will like, get you. You know, it'll, I love it. If you think we're wrong and you hate our idea, uh, just reach out and let us know because nothing's better than a flame war on Facebook. Absolutely. Also, my idea is amazing. So <laughs> if you don't get it, you just don't understand what good movies are. If you don't get it, I don't think you really like Batman. That's it. I, I'm just going to say it. You will not let Batman be Batman. That's right. Jordan, thank you so much, man. For Jordan Hugh, I'm Mike Staub. This has been the How About This podcast, and we'll see you next week with... You'll have to wait and see. Thanks again, everyone. Have a good night. Arby, I'm Hi, Batman. Batman. How About This is a show where two New York-based entertainment gluttons create fantasy pitches for some of their favorite properties. Starring Jordan Hugh and Mike Staub, the How About This podcast is a culmination of almost 70 combined years of entertainment consumption. From movies to TV, video games to comics, these two nerds are going to get deep into the hypothetical. They're going for a dive into the primordial ooze of the fever dream to come up with some incredibly interesting ways to handle some well-known brands. Join Jordan and Mike every week for an hour of brainstorming joke cracking and movie quoting until they can come up with the best ideas they can muster all starting with one question how about this